Hello and welcome once again to How to Pakistan. We've had a spate of very unfortunate, tragic incidents in Pakistan. Easter Sunday, we've had in Lahore um, exceedingly, exceedingly appalling uh, act of terrorism where children, women, and Muslims, Christians were targeted at Christians. And of course, we have a situation in Islamabad where all the Janisar of Mumtaz Qadri have just walked right in to the center of the city and are, as usual, holding things hostage. And we've got no service on our mobile phones. And on top of that, me and Musharraf just recorded the show for an hour and a half and we lost the file. I don't know how that happened, but we're going to do another one. We're going to keep it short. We're going to do a quick half hour. It's important days now, so Musharraf, thanks as usual for being on here, and um, let's speak once again, but this time with hopefully getting it out there to an audience. Maybe it was a good thing that we lost the hour and ten minutes long conversation. Maybe we needed to process that. Um, it's tough to process, and uh, you know we did this. Right when we started the podcast, we had the attack uh, at Bacha Khan University. Yeah. So we did a whole episode. We called it Char Sadda. Yeah. And, you know, when I was trying to save the file and, you know, the thing crashed, we were talking about what to name the file. We said Lahore. Yeah. And we were debating, you know, whether that really captures what's happened here. Yeah. How do you do justice to a situation in that is... Uh, that is so infinitely unjust. I agree. I mean, one of the things that I'm also thinking about is trying to recapture some of the elements of that discussion. And maybe we have an opportunity to maybe refine it because we were ambling around as we were trying to capture our own thoughts. We opened up on a area where you and I differed where my problem was that, you know, I've seen a lot of people who've been saying that, you know, please say that Pakistanis were killed. It's not Christians. And the whole idea was that sometimes that, you know, for communities which have it bad in Pakistan and there is a lot of discrimination and there are a lot of issues, for them, for suddenly people, for others actually, to suddenly become very nationalistic is denying them their pain at that moment because they were targeted for a specific reason. And we were discussing that one of the things that you mentioned and I do agree with is it comes from a well-intended place, but I think that the effect of it is, uh, for some, uh, literally quite insidious because that pain needs to be recognized before it can be even processed or there can be reconciliation. And you had some points on that. Well, I think we didn't disagree on that. I think where we disagreed was the degree of accommodation for that goodness of heart that when people try to deny minorities in this country, and you know, we have so many minorities because we're such a diverse country. When people try to deny a group, let's not call it a minority because I think there's a lot of baggage there. When people try to deny a group the agency to mourn, the fact that it feels hunted, that it feels targeted, that People are not doing that out of spite for that group. People are doing that as an expression of solidarity. People are doing it because they 
they want people to say, are doing at this it because point, they're ashamed. And uh, also that they want to say that, okay, at this point, we are one. Yeah, we're saying we're, we're Pakistani. You're yeah. one of us and we're one of... And more than anything else, people are doing it because they haven't thought through the implications of what they're doing. That, that most people, you know, the long debate that we had was yes. about the privilege of empathy. And we disagreed on that as well. Yeah. That uh, I had made the point that uh, the issue is not, I, I raised the fact that you're a Rhodes Scholar and you said, well, you know, it's not about education. I said, no, it's absolutely not about education. It's about empathy. And that you can teach education, so to speak. You can teach someone how to do math. You can teach people how to do accounting, how to be an engineer. But teaching empathy is an entirely different project. And it doesn't necessarily require the same implements uh, in terms of a system that, that you require for an education. Yeah. Does it make it easier if people are educated to teach empathy? Uh, absolutely. But empathy is really a product of experiences and richness of experience. And we, you know, we talked about the fact that the privilege that you enjoy or that I enjoy enables us to be more empathetic. I agree. And I think one of the issues was also partly that so you see, I mean, there's a lot of good intentioned uh, questions that sometimes surround when people are trying to work or talk to people who have disabilities. And a lot of that is in many ways, despite the good intentions, it's quite insulting to the person who has, who's a person with a disability. And I think, I think where if we fine tune it a little more, I think the question is, is that if somebody with privilege like myself, and I say, okay, you know, your attempt at nationalism at this particular point in time, I think it needs to be addressed because ultimately the question is off. Maybe that is a act of trying to teach maybe a certain kind of empathy. But the problem, of course, is, is that maybe that particular social divide that exists between me and, say, somebody else uh, makes me the worst kind of messenger because they'd say, oh, yeah, obviously you'd say this because you want it to look like, you know, the Pakistanis or the Christians in this country are really bad off and our experiment is failing or whatever. But the point being, I think that ultimately what we do agree on is that, that whether well-intended or not, it's not what needs to be done at that point in time because it disengages a community from their pain because they're not allowed to identify with it. And I do agree that probably maybe as many Muslims have died in the Lahore uh, bomb blast, but one well, that's to... not a matter of opinion. I think factually, there, there there's yeah. a, either parity or there's more Muslims. Exactly, that. but that that doesn't really change the fact that the terrorist group that conducted this terrorist attack explicitly stated its intention of targeting Christians. Yeah, that attack doesn't happen on that day at that place if that group isn't targeting Christians. Now. The fact that there may even be more Muslims that died in yeah. that attack is in and of itself a tragedy and a second layer of tragedy. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think the point that we both agree on is that we have to be able to develop the space in our hearts and I think more importantly in our minds. Because I don't think, I think there's, that's where the disagreement is. I don't think a dil kharabi ka mamla. I don't mm. think people are going out of their way to, to reject people's agency as Christians to mourn. Mm. I think people do it less because of a lack of heart and more because of a lack of intellect. And specifically, not intellect, this is not an attack on people's intelligence. It's, you know, we talked about the, again, empathy being a component 
of that sort of emotional quotient, that emotional intelligence, that oftentimes you, you, you can't get from a book. You can't get from sitting in front of your laptop or, or, or television set. You need to have experienced life. You need to have talked to, spent time with, argued with people who disagree with you, people with a different background, people who have a different religion, a I different agree. set of values. You have to have traveled, right? And so there's a huge element of privilege in the assumption of empathy. Here's a different way of saying this in a simpler way. I think it's unfair of you to expect people who haven't had the same privilege that you and I have had to expect them to have the same level of empathy that you and I can exercise. That the fact that we can exercise empathy in and of itself is a product of privilege. And so expecting that from the common person and, and you know, an educated guy sitting behind the laptop, you know, who's, uh, who's really very expressive, uh, doesn't doesn't mean they have the same level of privilege that you and I do. Right? Oh, absolutely. So I, mean, so I think that we, we, <coughs> we, we should privilege empathy, and we should also be conscious that not everybody can exercise empathy because that is a very specific quality that comes about for a host of reasons. And I, I also think that, I mean, where I slightly uh, disagree, and then we can move on on this one, is that I just think that for me is that our people are fairly intelligent. And the thing is... Sometimes I keep thinking is how much more evidence do you need, right? For you to reflect and say, okay, what you've been thinking or saying and so much flies in the face of it that I do think that we can attach a certain premium to privilege. But over time, uh, I don't think at the same time we can take away from, say, their natural level of intellect for them to actually think over it again and again because ignorance... Uh, when it becomes willful over time, then obviously one can suggest that how does one know whether it's willful or not? And it'll be difficult to assess that. But I think there are elements to that where there's a willful element. But I think... Well, selection least, bias and confirmation yes, bias are exactly. not willful, right? Yeah. That we know that, you know, having studied, for example, probability and statistics, yeah. that there is a thing called selection bias, there's yeah. a thing called confirmation bias, yeah. right? That these are processes that the human mind engages in involuntarily yeah. in order to seek what we are already looking for. Yeah. That's confirmation bias. Yeah. And selection bias is to select things that we are already looking my, for. My, my only thing on this is that I agree with that, but I just think that when you take the selection bias issue argument over a long run, say over seven, eight years, then I think at that point, it's uh, less that involuntary aspect of your mind looking into it. And it's just like, I'm sticking to what I know. Uh, yeah, but it, but it is that it is people sticking to what they know. Look, let's, let's step away from Pakistan for just a second. Is every person that wants to vote for Donald Trump a bad human being? Straight up. Yes or no? No. I think that's... That's your answer. Is everybody that voted for Narendra Modi, is everybody that defends Narendra Modi, is everybody that vacillates and tries to obfuscate what happened in Dadri, necessarily, fundamentally, somebody who hates Muslims? Yes or no? It's a bit difficult when you bring it to that level. Why? No, I, I, I just think, I think there's a point that you're making that I agree with at the same time. And I think the I'll question, tell you why I'm making the point because no, no, it's not the, a it's not a defense or, or, or it's no, no, not an I, explanation. I agree with you. You see, the point is, I'm looking at it from 
how long in the timeline does that work? So if there's somebody right now who believes and does a certain moral calculus that I'm going to vote for Donald Trump because I believe some good will come out of it, or I've understood the world incompletely and I do not have a full spectrum of choices available to me because maybe I'm not as well educated or I just don't want to look for all that information. But by the time a second term comes, right, I think that equation changes. I think that equation changes also in Narendra Modi's case, that once he's tried and tested over a second and or even if it's a third term. The question is... You're assuming that experience trumps human nature. No, I'm not saying it trumps human nature, but it does have a role to play. And the ignoring of experience and telltale signs then gives you a level of complicity in what you're doing. People's bad not... behavior, Fussy, people's bad behavior does not undermine human anthropology and selection and confirmation, confirmation bias. What do I mean? If you were looking for Modi as the economic reformer, before the 2013 election, in, it was 2014, I think it was 2014, yeah. early 2014. If you were looking for Modi to be the economic reformer, it was easy to find yeah. that guy. I agree. Because you were automatically ignoring what happened in Gujarat in 2002. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Once you've, once you've crossed that barrier, that threshold, your continued support for Modi would also automatically fade out Dadri and fade in Sydney and, and Madison Square Garden and economic growth. Would it not? You'd look at it, yes. So th what, what I, why, why, am I, why are we going down this road? I mean, that's the important part, yeah. right? We have a country that's he, need, that needs healing, that's wounded. I think it's deeply wounded and I don't think it realizes how deeply wounded it is. I think that Pakistani... Christendom is a very special and unique thing. It's, it's, a, it's a really, it's something that Pakistanis do treasure without even knowing that they treasure it and that the consciousness of treasuring it will help people gain a level of empathy for the argument that some of us are making, you and I, that the attack targeted Christians, that we must call it for what it is. It was the Easter Sunday suicide massacre, attack, yeah. massacre in Lahore. Yes, more Muslims died than Christians, if, if that holds true. The, the body count keeps increasing. Yeah, yeah. We started with 13 last night, it went to 34, it went to 53. The last big number I saw was 72. Who knows how much bigger it'll be. The resilience of babies to Shrapnel. They put shrapnel and ball bearings in the explosives. Yeah. This is not a this is not a political statement. This isn't the IRA doing this at a street corner to gain attention and take over the national uh, news. Yeah. This is these are people that are that tried to and succeeded in killing women and children. And that these women and children happened to be Christian was not a happenstance. It wasn't an accident. These women were Christian because the killers wanted to attack. Christians. And my thesis is that the reason that they go after Christians, the reason that they go after Pakhtuns specifically, the reason that they go after Ahmadis, the reason that they go after specific groups, Shias, is very uh, important for us to acknowledge. It's because Pakistan's actual real strength isn't the nonsense that we've been fed for the last three decades about our stature 
you know, as Muslims, because we've been Muslims for, for a thousand years. We galloped in, uh, you know, uh, with Ghaznavi. We galloped in from the south, you know, we, we, we sailed in from the south with Qasim, and then we sung and danced our way into, into, into this region. There's something innately Muslim about South Asia, about India, about Bangladesh, about Pakistan, about Kashmir, about Afghanistan. So it's not the Muslimness that's new. The thing that's new is this nonsense, which somehow privileges Pakistani Muslimness. Pakistani Muslimness is privileged because it's part and parcel of an argument for the protection of the weak and the vulnerable. It's what Qadi Azam was trying to do. And the only way that Pakistan can be true to Pakistan is to sustain the Qaid's vision on pluralism. And the greatest flag bearers of Pakistani pluralism since before partition through independence in 1947 and throughout our history have been Pakistani Christians. No other community represents the unique contribution to Pakistani pluralism that Pakistani Christians have made. Justice Cornelius chose Pakistan. Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so this, this idea that this was some puritanical republic project, the guys who wanted a puritanical republic project didn't believe in the republic and didn't believe in the suit-wearing jinnah. And their readjustment to Pakistan took a good decade. And, you know, of course, then you have the objectives resolution and you have everything thereafter. So if we're going to be honest and if we're going to exercise empathy, we have to recognize and lend the stature, especially when it comes to attacks on Christians, that they deserve, which is to call it what it, what it is. That attack on Christians. But my only caveat to this whole thing is that we cannot condemn the people that are trying to conflate this with an attack on Pakistan and are trying to partly because of defensiveness and partly because they don't have the empathy processor that you have or that maybe I have. We can't hold that against them. We have to work with our brothers and sisters to explain why it's important to recognize that an attack on Hazaras is not an attack just on Pakistanis. Of course, it's an attack on Pakistanis, yeah. but they're being they're it's being an specifically on Hazaras. and and yeah. and Hazaras. Why? A yeah. because they look different, and B because they're a particular brand of Shia. Yeah, and so that clarity. But but the point being, no, I agree with that. See, the point being is that when we say we seek to understand, and we say that even if it is a question of whether they're well intended or not, that does not take away from the fact that it needs to be called out because that engagement is necessary and it's going to be uncomfortable. It's got to be that somebody who thinks they're doing a nationalistic service, you're actually explaining to them, no, you are increasing the cleavages that are happening in society. And I, I think we'll also just quickly shift this to something else that we discussed in our previous recording, which was... I'm not sure we should be clinging to that, by the way. There was a, you know, obviously God's will was, you know, we've had yeah. this happen more than once, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I... This happened uh, two, three times. Yeah. But, but this I think is, this one bothered us because we had gotten a lot off our chest, which yeah. I think we needed to. There's this whole pathology of... Uh, yeah, but th this is a point that I think is interesting. Is What I was saying earlier was also is that... So you've got Pathoons who've reacted uh, and you know there's an agency to it because so much has happened to Pakhtuns over this past uh, couple of years and again with the Balochis they'll point out that you know you and the Federation Punjab did this and that 
and we are always going to be like and they will sometimes use extremely charged pointed and even counterproductive and even unfair language on occasion but the point being is that the christians in this country very interestingly do not do that never they well, yeah with one occasion one exception one exception which was the riots in johannabad and then we had an interesting thing which is that the point is that a lot of people who were critical of say writers and liberals in general were saying well why didn't you condemn that riot and actually they're right riots whether for xyz reason are all wrong and we hold them whether they're muslims or christians but they had an agency one does think that if you look and really understand the kind of situation the kind of lives they live on a daily basis where they have been categorized as the other not only in religious but also in racial terms it's surprising they haven't done it more and we have to recognize and by the way they do have the numbers in in many towns and cities especially in the punjab but even in the big cities if to to create if they wanted to and if they were so moved to create real disruption in this country absolutely so the idea somehow that christians are such are are weak you know and and unable to i mean it is a it is a flawed idea again but this goes back to the point is that do not take away their right or at the time of tragedy to mourn it as some directed an on yesterday attack on christians exactly and that's why in one way is that we were also speaking you said moral exceptionalism when it looked when we looked at those rights back there but again i mean we also try to in the same way we're trying or at least you've explained how a certain kind of muslim is trying to explain a tragedy in terms of a sense of pakistaniness owning the christian experience even though you or i may disagree with how they've done it or you know why the question then becomes also is that that moral exceptionalism is also an understanding of why in those rights maybe the criticism wasn't as severe as it should have been because right yes or no whatever is the wrong thing to do but uh, i think so i mean but it's a different thing if you're gallivanting along constitution avenue yes. in big numbers and you were the product of state action for yeah. over, over 20 25 years and you're 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 it's an entirely different privilege exactly so yeah. so in one case those rights are an exercise of privilege in another case they're not but here here's again i think it's important to counter the counter hmm. rather to argue the counterpoint the counterpoint is do we really believe that these poor souls uh, i'm sorry to do this right i know this this will upset you but the people that are standing in favor of mumtaz qadri that have been led by pipe pipers down to djog today yeah uh, do we really believe that that is an exercise of privilege that's a good question so i i think i mean it's an easy point to make right it's an easy point well, to make well the christians are you know of no, course you know systemically discriminated against so when they ride in johannabad you know they're reacting to a very specific thing and by the way we're both I, on board right yeah, yeah, like, yeah. that that moral exceptionalism we're on board yeah. now the question is is there a way if we're going to have empathy i i think i think you actually asked a very good question and the question here is that maybe i articulated it wrong because you're right it is not those guys out there are not products of privilege what they are though is somebody who recognizes a certain power they hold against a state that has been weakened in a certain direction 
And there is an imbalance, and that imbalance occurs whether we had a discussion on how the judiciary did it, how you know the police did it, how actually both the dharnas uh, of last year did it. I mean, I see. I believe that that was a huge thing. That whatever was sacred, or every no-go area, or at least semblance of order was simply washed away, that the state would wither. All you needed to do was get five people in, walk up. But yeah, I agree. They are... And here's the hard thing, is in some ways they're victims. Right? They are also people who want to... And not all of them, but some of them, you know, they just really want to do good in their lives. They're willing to sacrifice. No, no, and they genuinely love... The, like this whole Ashiki yeah. Rasul thing, Rasul Salasana, like... As a, as, as a believer myself, like, I don't ever question somebody's, you know, sort of ish for the Prophet. I mean, especially Pakistani Islam and Pakistani Muslimness is so deeply spiritual that you cannot get there without a certain element of ishq rasul And so, you know, the question isn't, you know, the average Joe or the average Yusuf, right, that's yeah. in, the, in the crowd, whether that individual... Is, is gaming, uh, you know, the system. Yeah. I don't think they are. I think they're there out of a, uh, a genuine and sincere belief that what they're doing is virtuous and righteous. And so we then have a double challenge. We have to heal the wounds that have been inflicted upon smaller groups in this country. So just one thing, I, before you go on, I agree. I do think they're gaming the system slightly. And that's because... A group of Baloches, right, will not walk in from Bindi to Islamabad. They know what they're going to get if they do something like that. There is an element where they've recognized where the system doesn't privilege them. Well, if your but currency is them. well, no, yeah. I mean, let's be let's be totally sort of candid about it. If your currency is Deen, if yeah. your currency is religion, yeah. then you do. So, so that's the gaming of the system. Exactly. And by the way, that again, I don't hold against those guys because mm. that's been done by the rulers of this country. The establishment's done so, it. Yeah. So, you know, I agree. I so, agree. So let's not sort of. They're just actually not reaping what they sowed in and, some ways. Well, this and is unfortunately, the they're not really harvesting it. You and I are harvesting it. Well, because but, but you country. and I aren't. I mean, that's uh, we're not true. In, in a sense, you know, we we again because of our privilege yeah. are not equidistant to this. Uh, to everybody else. I agree. You know, you and I will not... I mean, because, I, because how many... When's the last time you went to Cochin in Bagh Park? I've never been. Right? Yeah. Men, I mean, Lawrence Garden, still, you know, race course, yeah, because, you know... But the last time I was in the park area yeah. of race course was when I was in my, like, mid-teens. Yeah. I haven't been there since then. Part of that has to do with social status and social mobility. I if you go from solidly middle class to reasonably upper middle class over the course of a 15 or 20 year sort of, you know, uh, between your teens yeah. and your late 30s or, or early 40s, you know, yeah. you are going to see less and less of Gulshan Iqbal Park and Racecourse and, and Lotus Garden. And you'll see more and more of Gloria Jean and, 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 and all the other places that you and I spend more time in. So... The, 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 the harvesting, here's, here's, the, here's the tragedy, or here's one layer of the tragedy. Hmm. The victims, obviously, are who they are. Uh, the harvesting of this 
is also by, by the same victims. The entire burden of this is on, almost entire burden of this, notwithstanding that members of the elite have been assassinated from Benazir Bhutto to mm. Salman Tasi, but the burden of, 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 of this violence is borne by the same people that essentially are part of the problem. I agree, <laughs> you know? I agree. And so, and so you, you, you really, then you step back and you think, are we going to solve this with another police or military operation? Yeah. Is, is that going to work? And that's the whole point, is that that just gets at some of the symptoms. It solves a certain kind of problem, but it doesn't solve the real issue where the production of this problem is so endemic. One is because the state doesn't provide people enough. The state, if you work, interact with the state at any level, you come across with an indignity that is really hard to explain. Whatever you feel you know in society or how you are around peers and your family, just have to deal with the state once. And then you'll realize that, you know, what respect truly is. What and I think this is where we, we actually, I think, Fasi, you know, people like yourself and my, myself, and again, I don't know what that means, but you and me, let's just yeah, say, yeah. you know. I think one of, the, one of the sort of diagnostic or analytical faux pas that we often commit at least I do. So I'm, I'm big on the state. I'm heavily invested in the state. And, and that often means that I sort of either willingly or unwillingly uh, feel like I have to intellectually underwrite a, a lot of unpleasant things, right? Because the state is, is also a beast. And, and in many ways, a good state, especially where we're at, yeah. will have to be a beast sometimes, yeah. right? But asking people who are on the wrong end of the dignity spectrum in their interactions with the state you know, if you can buy your way out of having to drink tap water yeah. with a bottle of Nestle, like, you know, you don't know what it's like to get sick from drinking water. The problem is... You don't know what it's like to take water. a baby yeah. to a hospital with, like, diarrhea, with something basic, and then find the wrong medicine administered to the child, and then watching, I mean, potentially watching kids die. How many people have... Now, it's hap it happens. So it's not like it's completely unheard of, but it happens relatively rarely compared to the average, quote-unquote, Pakistani. Yeah. So when we give lectures to people about the state, about democracy, about the system, about the importance of... And I did this today. I, I even tweeted it. Yeah. I said, you know, I, I explicitly expressed my support to the prime minister, the chief minister. But that support and that expression is coming from a place of privilege where I can jump the line on drinking water, on private versus government schools, on private versus government clinics, on never having to go to a BHU, on never having to depend on a government so dispensary. Here, here, here's Comporter. When's the last time you or I required a, yeah. a government comporter? Yeah, not at all. I mean, it's been A ages. lot of English-speaking yeah. Pakistanis wouldn't even know what the hell a comporter is. I agree. But and so when they stand, when we stand... And we point our finger, we wag our fingers at the people, at the Tayyid al-Qadri crowd or in the, in the crowd of pro-Qadri supporters right now. There's something fundamentally but unfair here's, about But here's that. the thing. I, I think I, I, I agree with this point. And I think there's one other element to this. And where I think a real division starts off. So in the way I grew up, like I often think that, you know, I, when I was 16, if I was 16 today, I'd probably be an Insafian, right? I'd want revolution, I'd want X, Y, Z. And the question that really... I'd probably be worse, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 you know, there is a certain thing that, you know, one of the things that sometimes I feel that, at least I feel like, you know, I can relate on some things, not all, 
uh, is because I was a certain way. Mm-hmm. You feel the same also? Yeah. Now, but the problem that I have uh, is interesting is that why some... I, I don't know if it's necessarily an elitist position to defend the state in a certain way, as it is one of a question of where you feel your analysis leads you to. And I see that this state, this system, as bad as it is, the gang that wants to do a revolution, and I'm not talking actually about organized massive political parties right now, such as the PTI, or, but the rest that they want to do it. No, no, these we'll, thugs and hooligans. These man. thugs and yeah. hooligans, we will be in such a bad position that, you know, we sometimes feel pride. I mean, I've seen it in Pakistanis. They dismissively talk of Africa. They dismissively talk of how behind, you know, of Afghanistan is. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's ridiculous. And, they and, don't yet, realize and, yet, and yet they fantasize about the dismantling of our, of our constitutional democracy. Exactly. And, and they don't realize that with that kind of revolution, this state structure, right, with the exception of maybe a really strong army, but even that, we're just like... No, I think steps. we need to stop with that as well. The yeah, army yeah. is as vulnerable to our society's fissures as anything yeah. else, so, which is why we have to heal these fissures. I agree. Plus, and which is why because we have to protect our army. We're, we're just, our army is one of our... I believe, and you know, this is a big sort of point yeah. of contention with a lot of friends. Yeah. I... I I love our army. So, I love the fact that we have a big army. So, so, but it, we need to protect that but, army from yeah, these fish. But my point is that we are two, three steps away, if things go really wrong, from being what we dismiss, Afghanistan, X, Y, Z, whatever. And this revolutionary fervor that people have, which is unimaginative, which is entirely dissonant and in some ways like almost an opiate-fueled fantasy, it puts us in this really odd Patwari class where we say, dude, this stuff is terrible. Let's try and fix this. Because the other thing that you're saying is not just not going to happen. No, no. And it's going to drag on. you back. No, no. But yeah. also, let's criticize Nawaz Sharif and Shabazz Sharif and, you know, Isaac Dar and Chaudhry Nassar for the stuff that they're not doing in yes. the way that it will get stuff done. Let's talk about why they don't touch the civil services, yeah. why we are still using a political agency system in FATA, yeah. why we're you know, continuing to depend on assistant and deputy commissioners to do the work that the British used to do a hundred years ago with mm. the same offices, yeah. why we haven't made any changes or investments in their technology, technology in, in their capacity to implement and execute public policy. <laughs> Those are the discussions that we should be having. But again, but, but, how are we? Yeah, it, sorry. No, go ahead. No, no, I, I was just reminded something on the previous recorded we did, and I do want to bring that up, because I found some of where we departed on that very interesting. Is I said, is that, look, so you've got the masses who really feel the indignity of the system, but my question was, what about our middle classes and upper middle classes who also say this fantasy stuff, well, we really needed revolution? And I, I told you that during the high time, of what is a precursor to this, which was during the Musharraf era and um, um, the Lal Masjid crisis, I was speaking to a female journalist, Mm -hmm. and she said, you know what, I wish that these guys succeed. And I just wanted to understand more, and I said, why? Why do you you want that? She says, well, I want justice in a day. I want uh, a good order, whatever. And then then I asked her, I said something, okay, so you're wearing a sleeveless. Right? And you want to be associated with those people. I said, so what are you willing to give up? And she says, wearing full sleeves is a compromise I'm willing to make. And even then, 
and, and, and here again, where you and I... Uh, I think the point where, where you and I disagree, Fassi, is that yeah. you may think that person to be evil. I think that person is just plain stupid. Right. <laughs> no, I, I really think that, you know, if you're a... I, I'm, you know, this is a harsh thing to say, perhaps. It's certainly arrogant, which is why, may Allah forgive me. But I, I think that if you don't have the tools to think about public policy for a country of 200 million people in a really multipolar, really complex world, then you shouldn't be having conversations that then get relayed on a podcast. Like, I'm upset. Like, yeah. at, at, at like a base intellectual level, I'm upset that you told that story. Yeah. Because that, those views don't deserve airing. Uh, like, but but uh, that's just it. Those views but are here's prevalent. The problem. No, not prevalent. Yeah. Those views define your airwaves. Uh, yeah. You look at one of the reasons why we're doing this, Fussy, yeah. is that we you know, we we're invested in a we're invested in expecting more from ourselves. You know, we ended the last one with this yeah. whole ambition and I said something very lofty and you yeah. were like I think you were a bit taken aback because again it may sound arrogant. This is not coming from a place of arrogance. Mm. This is coming from a I think just unfortunately, you know, for you, I have this really guttural, really this this conviction that we are so so much better than what we seem to be mm. as a country and as a people. Yeah. I, I like I I believe this, and a lot of friends actually believe that this is some idiotic fantasy, mm. uh, and maybe I, I don't know. Allah better like you know maybe maybe it is, but I really believe that we can be so much better than what we seem to be right now, and let me say, what we are right now. And that to be better is hard work. That, that we can't... That we can't blow things up, drop bombs, conduct military ops, and expect the changing of people's hearts that got there over 35 years. Yeah. That the 35-year-old man with two children and, and a family who's lower middle to middle level income, who has world views, that are supportive of an assassination of a governor that he thought was a yash, mm. where the layer of, of justification is being, used, is being provided through his defense of a, of a poor Christian woman, that that person's views are not going to be turned because of some ad on TV. That, you know, we, this, we're constantly talking about a counter-narrative. And we're constantly using these terms, CVE, countering violent extremism. You know, we've had a public spat on, on some of this stuff. Yeah. The, the issue is not that we shouldn't be doing it. The yeah. issue is that we should be doing it with much more thoughtfulness and much more investment in, in, in the knowledge that this will take a long time and that harsh languages, uh, harsh language, harsh rhetoric makes it harder to do, not easier. I, I'm constantly amazed by this idea that an impatient banging of the table is going to get us to where we need to go. Uh, we've spent too much time on the wrong path. This course correction, you know, a one degree course correction for the Titanic takes, takes all its engines, yeah, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's a big, sh it's a big ship. Yeah. And I don't believe it's a Titanic. I believe it's... Whatever, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the Star Trek enterprise that won. You know, that, uh, that, that's the ship I believe we're on yeah. in this country. Yeah. Um, it's going to be hard work. No, I agree. And I think um, one of the key things is that it doesn't work if you have a bit of forming and you have people walking in all the way from Pindi, taking their time to saunter in right into the heart of the city. 
set fire, then, you know, deface your metro, then decide they want to stay, put out 10 demands, and having an interior minister that doesn't show his face till the next day. And I, I, I just think that, you know, one of the things that we discussed earlier also is you made a point about, you know, how the bureaucracy in this country works, but at the same time, we've seen evidence of that when you do have you know, people at the executives who are using the bureaucracy, they have set them to higher standards. And I think that how much more experience does Islamabad need all the way back to Lal Masjid, you know, Sikandar, um, last, uh, the Dharna, and now this. Like, literally, There's how no much excuse. more? There's no excuse yeah. for what happened. I, I think, but to me, that's part of the hard work. Yeah. The hard work is that where is that experience codified? Do you know? How many books about the Dharna? Yeah. Seriously. No, I agree. I agree. It's we've, we've tweetified our entire public discourse. Yeah. Our intelligentsia is now engaged in pot shots yeah. on primetime television yeah. and nothing more. There's not a single book that I can think of that's been written on the Dharnas. Mm. How many books about the Lal Masjid event? I think there was something once I remember. No, books yeah. by people that you and I would read. Let, yeah. Let's be, let's be, let's be, let's be open about yeah, our, yeah, I know about our intellectual snobbery, right? Right, right, right? How many, how many books by the Oxford University Press in English to whose launches we would go to, where we would tweet about how awesome the writer is? How many? None that I know of. Yeah. How many expected? Probably. How many? None how many? One. How many? How many documentaries about Sikandar? Yeah. How, how much follow up on Sikandar? We don't have an intellectually rigorous uh, subculture in this country, even amongst the Rhodes Scholars uh, and, and the podcasters, Fussy. We ourselves bear some of the responsibility for, for unchallenged dumbing down of our discourse so that the only thing we can say about Sikandar is, is rhetorical bullets, right? That yeah. I'm, very, I'm, I'm still angry about Sikandar. How did this country get held hostage by a guy with a gun in a, in a Corolla. See, actually, this is interesting because in the last one, the recording we lost is, I, I think this does go towards your point where on Sikandar, like, you're very angry. And I, on the other hand, still have doubts that, you know, was this guy just somebody whose mind was off with drugs or loony or whatever? And I have a more sympathetic view to it. But that goes to the point that after all this time, we haven't really been able to conclude Wait. what it was. No, no, no. Hold on a second. I'm go willing to go with whatever explanation you, you, you have for this. Uh, yeah. Fassi, I, I, didn't, I didn't say he was a raw agent, if, yeah. if that's what you were hinting. No, I, I'm I mean, not I'm happy to, No, but I'm happy to accept that he was mentally retarded. Yeah. I'm happy to accept that he was drunk. I, there's a hundred explanations I can accept. Yeah. Here's what I can accept. Two minutes after he holds up traffic, yeah. somebody doesn't pop a rubber bullet in his ass yeah. and get him off the street. No, I agree. I agree. I, I See, for whatever it is, but the point being is we don't even know how it exactly started off. Who was there first? Who went later? Who decided? All we know is that everyone eventually got in on it, and this is where the tragedy is. The moment that even you know the prime minister and chief minister are looking at what's happening... The re net result was what? Inaction. It's not just that they were looking. I yeah. mean, we had the whole conversation, Fuzzy. Yeah. <coughs> the SSP operations is standing there receiving phone calls from half the cabinet and the chief minister of Punjab. I mean, that the whole country was held up 
that the entire discourse and all the news items were, I mean, and then that it was an M&A who came in. Do you remember the whole story? I know. He just sauntered in. He just walked up and he just sort of embraced him. And that was the end of the story. And we couldn't find a cop or assistant commissioner or an SSP or a DSP or an ASI that we couldn't find a person in Islamabad in a republic that has 200 million, 200 million people. 200 plus nuclear weapons in a republic that buys F-16s and tanks left, right and center, in a republic that keeps convincing the IMF to keep giving it billions more, in a republic that keeps issuing euro bonds and, and, and driving up our debt, in a republic that does all of these things, we couldn't find a guy to take down a depressed dude who decided to stop traffic. Yeah. And your lamentation is that there's no inquiry report. Yeah. Where's the inquiry report on Benazir Bhutto's assassination? I agree. I mean, if we start looking into it, we're never going to stop, right? But I agree, absolutely. But I killed Hakim Saeed. Good question. I mean, what are you talking about? This is where the the rubber hits the road of self-consciousness. Because this is where the anti-democracy discourse... And it's not a narrative. There's an entire national discourse constructed around demonizing and vilifying democracy and Mm -hmm. Democrats and politicians. But this is where it actually sort of, it begins to come together. It becomes very difficult to defend Chaudhry Nisar in the face of Sikandar or in the face of what happened in Islamabad on Easter Sunday and Easter Monday. So again, I agree with that absolutely. The fact that, you know, there was such a huge lull where everyone was saying, oh wait, we've got two pressure points. We're used to one. By the way, there was, an, there was a bomb in Karachi as well. You know about that, right? Apparently 10 people died in a bomb. Uh, no, I don't know about that. I just knew about on, the attack on, on one Sunday. of the media offices. Oh, or was it the press club? Yes. Maybe it was yeah. an errant. Uh, maybe it was an errant ticker that I read, but I thought that Sunday night there was. I didn't know a big one that. in Lahore, and there was a smaller one in Karachi. But the point being is, like, again, you're right because it, the edifice of you know the democratic project becomes harder to defend when there's this degree of almost willful negligence, as we saw, where you have. Literally, the country thinking, okay, we've got these two massive pressure points. We're usually used to only one happening at one time. And each is growing by the minute. No one from the government and the army comes in. And at least whether they did anything or not, it looks as if they have started something. And even right now, we don't have any uh, cell phone coverage. That's why I took out the phone. Just to show you. It's 12 hours now almost that we've been without cell phone coverage. It's the, tw- it's the 21st century. We have these ambitions. I have ambitions for this country to, to, you know, be globally competitive, to do trade and regional connectivity. Well, I don't... What, I what don't, are we going to... Like... What, yeah. What, what, you know, who's the fool? And then we have a bunch of Pakistanis, sometimes probably including myself, who lament the fact that the Western, you know, press and the Western world doesn't feel our pain. Oh, Baba, we're not feeling our own pain, yaar. See, that's, I, I've been a bit heartless on that, but I don't care if the West feels our pain. No, neither do I. I'm, I'm, we're, we're probably entirely on yeah. the same page on because this one. I, 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 I hear each time. I could time, give a crap, honestly. Yeah. Like, where's, where's my DP? What, make your own DP. No, no, what, what, yeah. what's your DP going to do? Yeah, 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 I mean... Well, you're the same person, potentially, who, who hates Nawaz Sharif so much yeah. that you have a 
that your DP is actually a caricature of the prime minister. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. popularly elected prime minister of the country. We spent two and a half years negating his, the fact that he's popularly elected. Yeah. And then the other day, this raw guy was caught. Yeah. And the narratives you saw in the press were the weakling Nawaz Sharif, the coward Nawaz Sharif is not raising this with India. Instead of uh, like rhetorically attacking India, yeah, yeah. people were attacking Nawaz Sharif yeah, yeah. after the discovery of a raw agent in Balochistan. Yeah. That's the level of sort of, you know, self-inflicted uh, uh, injury that, that this country's narrative constructors yeah. <coughs> invest in. And then we, and then we expect, you know, then we expect Je suis Lahore or Je suis yeah, yeah, Not yeah. going to happen. Never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Never going to happen I because the, the world is smarter than us. The world sees the basket case that we've made of ourselves and, and the joke that we make of ourselves. And there's no question that there are foreign agents and uh, malign actors involved in this country. And I have no doubt in the world that India does whatever it can, whenever it can to hurt us. I have no doubt. But the fact that we're not prepared for it, despite 1947, despite 1971, despite everything that happens in the Indian political discourse, especially after Mumbai, that the fact that we're not prepared for that is again, a, a, it's an indictment of our stupidity and our weakness, not an indictment of anybody else's evil. What, what are we expecting? Are we expecting rose petals after something like Mumbai or after Patankot? Well, it's, I agree with you. I mean, I think it goes to a question that... It was actually a discussion you and I had offline once. And uh, so correct me if I'm misrepresenting, but I thought it was kind of insightful. It was that having somebody caught in Balochistan as a raw agent, they're just doing their job, right? It's not their job to set up bombs all over the country and hopefully, you know, the question is you're going to get out intelligence and changing the nature of that from one state actually being a terrorist in another or facilitating that process is something that damages you in the long run. It has no strategic objective that one can actually realize. But the other thing that I think is probably what we should be going back to is at times like this, I think rather than trying to reach out to CNN so that they can put in a small little thing that the world can see, you also have to realize that the sad thing is that people start seeing certain areas as prone to a certain way of life that has a certain kind of violence and that's because we haven't fixed ourselves yet. And that may not be a just way of looking at it. But today, I think the fact that when, you know, uh, it's interesting that rather than sitting down and saying that, you know, what we've done historically and what has happened to the Christians on Sunday, rather than debating the nomenclature of who got affected and taking that away from sympathizing with those who died, I think, you know, questions on whether, you know, the Eiffel Tower put something up or not is utterly ridiculous. And, uh, you know, I'm glad we agree on that. And I hope... No, that I think it reflects... Fasi, I think it reflects a deep malaise. I think it reflects uh, an, a, a lack of self-confidence. I think that if you need 
validation from, yeah, from why? people sitting in New York and Paris that, that actually there's something wrong with you. The validation should come from within this country. We sh- Here's what we should be angry about. That it takes 24 hours for a prime minister to address the nation makes me angry. That our yeah. interior minister isn't on top of things and doesn't engage in the intellectual rigor that he needs to to be able to solve these problems, that makes me angry. That the police service of Pakistan hasn't properly been attempted to be reformed or, or nobody's tried it ever since the police order of whatever it was, 2002, and Here, that, that was I done under a thing. dictator, that yeah. should make us angry. I, I'll tell you one thing that recently upset me is that the fact that supposedly that KP has a police which is no longer subject to say, political interference is ridiculous. That's not an achievement. If the police system is not working, simply saying I won't interfere doesn't make it better, right? It's one small bit of the whole solution. It actually requires a much more extensive look at. But anyhow, we'll leave it at this. We'll come to the end of the I I just wanted to say one last thing on, on, you know, sort of uh, what happened in in law yesterday. We, we, t- we talked about this in the previous version, so it's just, you know, it's coming back to me. And I think we closed on this uh, previously as well. Fussy, the, the indignity of being Pakistani is something that affects all religions. Uh, you know, a male Sunni Punjabi is as, uh, you know, sort of uh, subject to being treated in an undignified way by the state as anybody else. But the degree of indignity that that people have to endure, and particularly that Christians endure in this country, is exceptional, and we have to acknowledge it. And in acknowledging it, we have to, I think it's important for us to recognize the kind of grace uh, that Pakistani Christendom exhibits regularly that has nothing to do with sort of a specific sense of benevolence or Pakistaniness, but that is part and parcel of what it is to be Christian. The whole concept of sort of salvation and sacrifice and endurance. And that those qualities uh, in Pakistan, as represented by Pakistani Christians, make Pakistan a better, stronger, more resilient and more beautiful country. And so Acknowledging the fact that Christians have been targeted, it doesn't make us weaker, it makes us stronger. And, and, and we should be louder and more vociferous in our condemnation of this and our resolve to not allow this to happen again. Absolutely. That's absolutely the minimum that we should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. So anyhow, uh, prayers for all those who've lost yeah, their may, lives. May Allah protect everyone, all communities, may Allah protect Pakistan. And uh, may Allah sort of heal the, the hearts, uh, not just the hearts, but, you know, the souls and, and the bodies of those that were victimized yesterday. And may Allah give sabr to the families that were affected, whether they were Christian, Muslim, or whatever other religious denomination they belong to. And uh, for, for those friends that are listening, you know, may Allah sort of, you know, uh, you know give, because I, I felt like today, Fussy and I felt restless as well. So yeah. I, I'm sure this is a feeling that's shared by many Pakistanis all around the world. So, um, you know, may Allah help us all. Thanks for listening as always. Okay. Goodbye and wishing the best luck for Pakistan and their unresolved situations to come to a close peacefully. Inshallah. Khuda everyone.